You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to all of those people who were here before us, who lived well, who died well, who met the challenges of their time and bring forward all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines. I call out to these ancestors who bring to us the legacy that can help us here as the living to do what we are called to do in our time, to meet those challenges, to hold true to the traditions that must be held, and to innovate and change, to grow, to heal, and to devise new ways to be here in the world. And I ask these ancestors to stand true with us, to help us, to do what we are called to do in our time so that we are able to create a world that honors and welcomes those who are coming. And I ask you all to reach beyond those human ancestors and connect to all of life that was here on earth before there was ever a human. For these are our ancestors as well. They're older, uh, more natural ancestors. And we reach out to them for them to help us to surrender to our own true nature, to move out of our minds, into our hearts, into our bodies, and to remember what it is that humans were dreamt up to be, who we are meant to be in the great web of life, and to be that piece of beauty in this amazing tapestry of life here on earth. And so we ask the other ancestors, the non-human ancestors, and their many, many countless forms, to come and to help us, help us to remember who we truly are, and to be the peace in the beauty that we are meant to be. And today, let's reach even deeper and older and further into one of our oldest, oldest ancestors, the energy of the earth herself, and to reach into this energy and to give gratitude for her and ask her to help us Help us to be better dreamers as we evolve her own dreaming of life. Everything born of that dream is a dreamer and continues to dream life. And we ask her to help us dream well, to dream true, to stop dreaming the nightmares and to bring our own awareness, our own heart in alignment to be part of this harmonious dream of life that is wanting to happen here on earth we call out to the earth and honor her as one of our greatest and oldest ancestors and as these ancestors gather around us here today let's take a breath and call ourselves together draw ourselves from wherever we might be into our head with the next breath draw ourselves from our head to our heart and the next breath from our heart down to our belly and from our belly let's take a moment and stop everything else that we're doing and just imagine ourselves, or literally, if you're able, to take a moment to bend down and touch the earth. Take a moment to give gratitude for your day. Gratitude and wonder and awe for life and the fact that you are a piece of this miracle of life. We give gratitude to this day for its beauty, for the diversity, and for the possibility of change and transformation. We give gratitude to this day for it's an opportunity for us to be even more loving and to express ourselves more fully in the world. We give enormous thanks to the earth for this place on which we journey through life and to all of the many blessings that make our life worth living. And with this gratitude in our heart pouring out, let us move our energy down through all the layers of the earth with our gratitude reaching out as we move deeper and deeper and deeper through the layers of the earth to the very center of the earth and connect into this energy that is that which is before all the abundance that we experience here on the face of the earth. Let us connect with that energy that renews, restores, 
replenishes, that nourishes, that energy that is before, that is silent and still and dark and cool. And to be in this energy, this deep, deep yin energy for just a moment. And dive deeply into it and draw it up into ourselves as we would draw water in on a hot parched day. We draw this energy of the earth up, up through all the layers of the earth and into our body. We draw that energy into our body, into our belly, our heart and our mind. We ask the energy of the earth to help us learn to be grounded, to live in our body, on the earth, in our time. And from that to know where we stand and to create a life on what we stand for, what has heart and meaning and truth for us. And then to build from that our sense of home and belonging and to do it in a way that is not connected only to one place or one people or one nation, but to do it in a way that is open to the other, open to those who think differently than we do, who look different than differently than we do and to things that are even other than human to open to the energies here on this earth and welcome it all to our table to feed it to nourish it to learn from it and to love it and in this way we learn from the earth how to be connected within ourself how to be connected to those around us how to be connected in a good way to our environment and to the invisible world we learn about connection and interconnection And ultimately, may we be blessed in this day by a moment of connection into the great web of life. May we take our sense of right relationship from our place in that wonder. And as the energy of the earth moves through us, let's draw the earth energy up, up and out the top of our head, out through the sky and whatever weather it holds for you today, moving out through that weather out through the atmosphere, out into the cosmos, all the way up to the highest power of the universe by whatever way you know this. Name it if you name it. Know it however you know it, but to connect with it and allow it to connect with you and begin to draw down the radiant energies from above. Whether you see that as sun, moon, stars, or some divine force, we draw it all in, calling it into ourself, into our day, calling it down to the earth. And in this way, we bring in the essence energy of blessing into our lives. We call in the energy of protection and devotion and commitment. We call in the benevolence of this universe. We call in through this energy inspiration and illumination. And we connect to the beneficence of this great larger system in which we are part and we draw it all into our head into our heart into our belly into these proceedings and finally send it down into the earth and in this way we open ourselves to be that connection between heaven and earth above and below and let that big love fill us reminding ourselves who they are our body what it came here to be and opening ourselves up to the love that is present in all things. And we let that big love awaken the spirit of our own heart. And may our hearts awaken to the great and powerful beings that they are. And may they open that crucible of transformation that lives in our hearts and call up from our deep belly energy, the deep knowing of why we are here, that passion for our soul's true purpose. And let that come up into the crucible of the heart. And we draw down the crystal clarity and ability to discern from the mind. We draw these energies into the heart. We let them mix and merge there in that crucible of transformation. And out of that dance between these energies so very different from each other in quality, we have them come together in a way that gives birth to a third and most sacred thing. Your sense, your memory, your knowing, some sort of inkling, some sort of inspiration or instinct of why you are here. And may you find courage in that very same human heart to do something in this day, large or small, to bring that gift into the world. I have enormous gratitude for all of the spirit help that gathers around us to help us to do that in every day. I don't know how pathetic my life would be without it, but I am deeply grateful for the help of spirit. And I am also deeply grateful for you all, those of you who do know that Why Shamanism Now is listener supported and that it exists out there now in its eighth year 
on the internet free for anyone who can connect with it because of you, because of listeners like you who are able to donate financially. Large large or small, every donation goes directly to keeping the show on the air. So I want to give thanks to Kemet, to Cody, Shenandoah, Carol, Heather, Daniel, Ronell, Chad, and all of the listeners who have been able to donate financially to the show. I'm deeply, deeply grateful for your support. So if this show is meaningful to you in any way, if it moves you in the heart, if it moves you to inspiration and, oh, my goodness, I need to go do that, or frustration and irritation because you don't agree, just know that you have been moved in the heart and do that most core shamanic action, which is to let what moves you in the heart motivate your actions in the world. And do something large or small, to help the show to grow. And if you're not able to donate, know there are many ways that you help things to grow in the world. And so share the show, talk about it in your journey circles, bring this work into your own shamanic practice, start your own shamanic practice, whatever it might be, do something um, to help the show grow, stay vital, share your questions, share your show ideas, and help this to stay relevant in your life. Because we're all in this together, figuring out how to bring shamanic skills in a way that is practical and Um, efficient, effective here in our contemporary lives. So I'm actually very excited today because I have a guest I've wanted to have on the show actually for years and she doesn't know that, (laughs) but I have. (laughs) And so our show today is about working with earth and our guest is Anna Laramendi. Anna, welcome. Thank you. It's Anna, by the way. Anna? Yes, and I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you so much. I find it quite amusing that you've been thinking of having me on the show for so long. (laughs) Oh, probably since before the show even existed. But anyway, (laughs) so for those of you that don't know, um, let's imagine this is the very first time you've been on the show, that Mm -hmm. um, Anna has spent her life weaving together both her spirituality and nature skills to create a skill set of tools for Um, land healing and teaching students to detect and heal earth trauma among the standard shamanic healing forms is a particular gift that Anna brings. She is of Spanish and Basque descent, ancestry, born in Spain. Is your last name Spanish or it sounds Italian? My my last name, Laramendi, is a Basque name and it actually means meadow mountain. Imagine that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Could that be more perfect? So anyway, uh, back, to the, back to the bio here. Um, so Anna is a full-time shamanic teacher and healer at um, The Hollow Bone. So you can find her work and classes at thehollowbone.com. Okay. And she has a private practice in Madison, Wisconsin. So for those of you listening from there, aren't you lucky? Um, She offers a full range of shamanic healing forms, space clearing, various land healing practices, as well as offering a range of shamanic coursework, which includes her Earth Tenders apprenticeship, which I hope to spend some time talking about today. And that is specifically for more advanced practitioners. So she's been studying shamanic traditions since 1989 and is an international teacher of shamanic healing practices. She's a minister, public speaker, vision quest leader, wilderness enthusiast, ceremonialist, chief, translator, and an initiated mesa carrier in the Inca tradition. Anna has studied extensively with teachers of many shamanic traditions from different parts of the world. And in addition to shamanic studies and spiritual studies, she's also studied for six years with Tom Brown Jr. and the Tracker School, which is a very um, cool experience for those of you that are more leaning into that wilderness aspect of these things. Um, She's also a lecturer at the University of Wisconsin Medical School, as well as a teacher and Peruvian guide for Madison Area Technical College. She's a founding member of the Society of Shamanic Practitioners, was a keynote speaker at the first conference, and has been published in their Journal of Shamanic Practice. And again, if you want to connect with her, you can connect through thehollowbone.com. And Anna, would you, if people want to email you, do you want them to email you through the website? Yep, that's the best way to to do it. It's um, my um, email address is coyote, C-O-Y-O-T-E, at thehollowbone.com. Nice. Okay. So everybody, we're live today. So if you have any questions about our topic, you're welcome to call in at 512-772-1938. Or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com page. 
if you're um, listening live, or you can email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. I'm happy to forward your emails or email Anna directly. Okay. So with that said, moving right along. Okay. Okay. So um, thank you again for joining me today. Thank you. So in reflection on your life, which is always a little bit long story how we got here, but but I think what's important for people to hear is the moments that now in reflection you realized were pivotal in in you becoming the woman and the particular practitioner that you are today. So you have a couple pivotal moments where you really went from being, you know, on the track your culture set you on to you now? Well, there's one pivotal moment that sort of supersedes everything. Um, You know, just interesting background. Um, My parents were basically agnostic or atheist. They're immigrants that came here. My father was a professor of neurology at the University of Chicago, and I grew up with no spiritual anything in my environment. Um, And so going from a, a sort of a blank slate into this path um, happened probably the most important experience that transformed everything was um, a vision quest I went on in uh, 1989. And I went on that quest because I was struggling with depression. I had a relationship I'd been in for a number of years had uh, ended very suddenly and I was extremely disappointed stressed and um, in a tremendous amount of grief. And actually, my therapist had recommended that something I could do to sort of reflect on that was to do a vision quest. And as a person who already loved being out in nature, the idea sounded great, although I had no clue what it was. And so I went um, on her advice. I signed up for a vision quest in California, in the Inyo Mountains of the California desert and went there with very little notice and not even fully realizing what I was getting myself into. I didn't know I was going to be fasting. I didn't know I was going to be alone for three days without a tent or anything. And that quest literally shifted and flipped everything in my life. Um, You know, I had always had a strong connection with nature But I'd always been, like many people, a little bit afraid to, like, be alone in nature, especially at night. And that vision quest, of course, I had no choice if I was going to follow what I was being directed to do, but be alone in nature in the mountains, um, in a territory where there's cougars and where one was, and rattlesnakes and other things that might eat you alive. And, And what I found is I found peace. I found the most profound, um, deep, deep peace in that, you know, I ended up creating and doing rituals during that whole time that I was alone in the desert for those three days. And I realized I'd found my home and my my tribe, and my tribe was the earth. And, um, And from that point on, my conscious connection to the earth became crystal clear. And so much so, I was very inspired with the mentor who was my first spiritual teacher, Sidonia Cahill, who actually died in 2000 in a car accident in Morocco. But she was my first spiritual teacher, and I was so impressed by that quest that I asked her if I could assist um, in future quests. And so she um, agreed that she'd love to have me come. And so I spent every vacation for 10 years going out to the desert and um, assisting her. And, um, and then in 1993, I remember before I was flying out to California, I called her and I said, you know what, I've just made my mind up. I said, I'm going to get married and I'm going to get married to the wilderness. And she said, that's wonderful, Anna. And she said, do you want me to officiate? And I said, would you please? And so that was a quest that was held out in um, Death Valley, uh, California. And I, I wrote and made vows that I was wholeheartedly committed to the earth and that my path was going to be about serving the earth. 
And that was sort of like the cementing of that, of that journey for me. And this, this intense passion to serve and to serve the earth mother. And so my shamanic journey began after the vision quest, but really the whole depth of it really took a deeper turn when I made those vows and that commitment to the earth. So how did it feel then? Because you did a lot of the training many have done. How did it feel then to spend so much of your shamanic training inside talking about nature? <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Of, you know, I, I, I felt like I was kind of living a little bit in two worlds. I mean, um, you know, when I started learning shamanic journeying, I was just like, oh, my God, this is home for me because I'd already had such a – I've been seeking something spiritually. I obviously had no no sort of framework because I grew up in a family without that very science-oriented family. And so, you know, initially, you know, and I also grew up with a lot of a dysfunctional family in its own special way and had a lot of trauma. And so initially I, was, I found that, um, you know, many of the classes, like many of us who train in the Western way, which is we take shamanic workshops, I found that those classes really helped me in a lot of introspection and healing. Um, and, but what I found was that when I was always the happiest was when I was out in nature. So, you know, a lot of people, you know, we, we journey to power animals. We, we envision that we're in a place in nature in our, in our shamanic journeys. Um, we may have a special place in nature that we go to in our shamanic journeys. But for me, the real ecstatic moments that I had in my work and in my explorations was when I was physically in nature. It wasn't just the 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 visualization visualization of going there with being in it. And I have had so many miraculous meetings with animals in the flesh, uh, interactions where I've prayed and prayed when I was in some crisis or something, and you know, a, a spirit of an animal would actually come up to me and give me a message. And to me, that was, that was the real stuff. That was like, that was, that made the whole spiritual side of the experience even more intense because I was getting these affirmations from nature in these very visceral ways. And so, um, you know, I, and I felt like people weren't, they loved nature, but it was kind of almost theoretically loving nature. You know, it's a problem with science a lot, too, sometimes. You know, sometimes biologists and scientists, you know, my parents loved nature, but my father as a scientist was, it was very, you know, the concept of nature is very appealing, but he never wanted to, like, really get himself dirty and muddy in it. And I think we live in a culture that because of the Christianity of culture and that separation of the earth from people, and that there is a, a, a perception that has been created that we internalize, that the earth is predatory, that if we're out in nature, something's out to get us. Um, and so people have sort of a, this, an emotional connection to nature, but they, they don't feel safe physically really, really immersing themselves in it. And it was because as I became more aware of that, at first I was so happy doing healing work I was doing in my shamanic trainings that that wasn't really forethought in my mind. But as I got into the mode of, of teaching more and showing things to people, I realized that there was this disconnect that people weren't, they were kind of tepid about being in nature. And, and so I did journeys and I was asking for guidance about what do I need to learn? What, what could I do that would help people break that barrier, that fear, that separation, and really, really be able to wallow in the mud like I can and love it? Um, and I, my own guidance led me to taking the wilderness skills classes, you know, and, and that's where I... You know, Tom Brown Jr., you know, internationally known, has had his tracker school for, I think, since 1975 or 76, um, was sort of an obvious choice. And so I started taking those classes, and it was, 
it was very interesting because I just felt like if only I could get like the, the wilderness and survival schools to connect with the shamanic schools because they each have so much to teach one another. And so much of true wilderness skills is about being in a spiritual state. And in Tom's more advanced classes, he really started emphasizing that. He didn't start that in his entry-level classes, but if you got into the more advanced classes, everything was spiritual. Everything was spiritual. How you related to nature, how you felt the trees, how you felt the landscape, how you sensed where the animals were, how you found the animal tracks with your eyes in a, you know, wrapped in a bandana so you couldn't see them. Um, everything became spiritual, and I realized that there's you know, our roots, the roots shamanically that exist come from people that were extremely close to the land. They revered the land. And so spirituality and nature was completely interwoven. And we've kind of uh, compartmentalized it a lot in modern shamanism. Mm. And part of that is because our culture has compartmentalized it. And so we're just operating from what's familiar to us. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that if we really want to survive the changes that are coming in the earth, we have to reconnect. We cannot separate ourselves from nature in the ways we have been separated. We need to feel completely, completely at home in her. And how many people can honestly say that they could sit in the woods alone at night for hours and hours and feel at peace and not be absolutely terrified? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's easy to say I love nature, but but can you feel at peace in it in a deep, deep, profound way that it's really home? And, and I felt like that was the message that I needed to bring because I felt that way and I found that. And I found that the more people connected on that level, it actually took their shamanic practice a lot deeper and put them in a whole other realm of connection with the natural world. And actually the natural world mirrors back to you the messages and the omens with even more clarity if you have some nature awareness and you really connect with nature. Well, and that's one of the things that I um, also try to talk to my students about is when you start getting things, um, you know, matching up uh, in your journey world and your ordinary reality world, you know, that's when things are really working and when it's all, when they're, communicating back and forth and you're really in the flow and it's not so it's not um one or the other it's how do we begin to weave it all back together again because it's a circle it's not this or that yeah Yeah. exactly so given what you know about you know contemporary shamanic training though there's there's a school of thought out there that people are being directly taught because I've seen people come into my classes because they're attracted through the radio show, so they don't have any other training with me. And they're, they come in with this training that they should not connect to the earth, that it is dangerous to connect to the earth. And is there something about the way we're communicating what's going on in the middle world that people take this to mean? Yeah. I don't know. What do you think about that? Because <laughs> well, they usually you know, can't I, tell I, you. Uh, I, one of the things that I think is, oh boy, where do I want to go with this? Okay. So, you know, most shamanic cultures, the cosmologies are that there's this upper world, the middle world, and the lower world, as it's been sort of described through the foundation for shamanic studies. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I study with a Peruvian teacher, and they have the Ukupacha, which is the lower world the Kaipacha, which is the middle world, and the Hanukpacha, which is the upper world. And one of the things that I think has been um, passed on and has created fear is that, you know, first of all, the middle world is all is is this realm where there is um, the whole spectrum of spirits and energies which means we, we have light beings, and we also have the elemental beings, which are amoral and not immoral, amoral, as in they function as they have a job to do, and they do that job regardless of any emotional attachment of right or wrong or anything. And, um, and I know that, the, for example, um, 
one of the things that Michael Harner has said is that he doesn't like teaching about the middle world because it's very messy. And that creates, I think, a sense of fear that there is something that's going to get you in the middle world. And the reality is that the middle world is where everything is happening. I mean, it is the confluence of spirit and matter. It is when we're doing healing, we're taking that information from these divine realms and we're bringing it and acting it out um, in the middle world to help a client with their healing. Um, And the middle world is where nature lives. And the middle world is very responsive to who we are and how we carry ourselves. It's actually one of the greatest mirrors of who we really are and what is really going on. And, you know, it's all nice to focus just on the upper world or in the the spirit realm of the lower world, which I call the heaven on earth realm. But the middle world is where we get tested. The middle world is where we walk the path as a spiritual warrior. And that spiritual warrior is a peace warrior of balance and harmony with all things. And because this is also the place where possession and all of those other things take place, people get really scared and they'd rather play it safe and and separate from that realm without realizing you're incarnated. You can't get out of it. You're here. (laughs) Aren't you a little better off learning how to deal with it than to escape into just going up and and connecting with the upper world and thinking that that's what's going to protect you? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I find that we're actually more vulnerable if we don't learn how to properly connect with the middle world than if we, um, you know, if we're constantly focusing beyond that, we're not learning how to manage these energies here. And the energies here in the middle world are very, very, very powerful. This is the realm of ghosts and hurricanes and earthquakes and all sorts of crazy, wild things. And it's reality. Mm-hmm. It's reality. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, um, and there's nothing really to be afraid of except not being in balance in yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the path to being in balance in the middle world is really comes down to the, we have to heal ourselves. And healing ourselves is an ongoing project that we're doing throughout our whole lives. We're honest with ourselves. Yeah. So um, do you have a mm-hmm. simple practice that you could give to people that might be sort of new to shamanism and new listeners and maybe maybe don't have a big skill set yet that could help them begin to connect with the f- earth the directly? Yes. There's one thing that I learned in tracker school you know, many of the things that I, that Tom Brown would teach us in the classes were things that I had kind of sort of been doing but wasn't doing exactly well or as well as I could be doing. And I remember this one, in, and he teaches this in the standard class, which is sort of the entry-level class before you can take any of his other classes. And this teaches you all sorts of basic skills on how to live on the land. And um, one of the things that he teaches is something that he calls fox walking. And fox walking is a native way of walking very gently, very slowly, that makes you, it sort of quiets down your energy field and it also quiets your footsteps. So basically when you're walking, you very gently lift your foot. And ideally it's done barefoot, but if you can't do that, do it. you would want to do it with, with shoes that have a very soft, pliable sole. And you step with the the front of your foot first and then slowly roll your foot down to the heel and then shift your weight onto the that foot before and have your find your balance before you take your next step. And what ends up happening is that each step is maybe last three or four seconds per step. It's very, very slow. But with that very slow putting the foot down on the ground, you actually First of all, find your center of balance. It almost looks like a Tai Chi move. And it also makes you very, very silent. Because one of the things that makes a human stand out in the woods is how noisy we are. We're like a bull in the china shop. And that very slow fox walking is a way of moving through the woods very invisibly. You, you don't move quickly. 
you hardly make any sound. And so he, he would have us practicing many, many, many paces of this fox walking very, very, very slowly. And once you're walking in that way and you're, you hold your body erect as you're walking, you can look forward without having to look at the ground. A lot of times we are looking to the space just in front of our feet, and we do that to prevent ourselves from tripping because we walk so fast that we can hit something and fall over without even realizing it if we weren't looking at the ground. But in fox walking, you're able to start standing and looking in the environment around you. So it allows you to be more still and more quiet and actually more observant. And then Tom added in this other practice, which he calls wide-angle vision. And the way you would do wide-angle vision, very simply, is if you hold both of your arms out on either side of your head and then with your face facing forward, wiggle your fingers on either side and move both of your hands towards the center until your arms are as far apart as they can be, but you, with your vision looking forward, can peripherally see the fingers moving on each hand on each side. What this does is it shifts our vision from being lasered in forward to being a more expansive, soft eyes. Um, John Young would call that owl eyes. And it's what it does is it shifts your vision from looking at things in a very laser kind of way. And we tend to look at everything. We sort of laser in on one object after another after another when we look. And wide-angle vision is the way that animals see. It diffuses vision, but what it also does is it allows you to detect very subtle motion. And, um, and so Tom would have a fox walk in wide-angle vision. And one of the things that he said was, you know, our brains are always moving at this very fast pace, our, and that would be the beta level of brain waves said, if you fox walk 10 steps in wide-angle vision, you drop out of beta and you go into alpha. He says, you go into the shamanic state of consciousness just by doing those two things at the same time. And sure enough, as I started practicing it, I went like, wow. And that wide-angle vision is not just wide-angle vision that you're able to see subtle movement, but you also start going into wide-angle hearing and wide-angle consciousness on multiple levels. And this, you know, part of, of training oneself to do any shamanic journey is we've got to get out of our busy, busy, busy heads. And so a practice like this, which is a very slow movement, but with this expanded state, takes us out of that busy beta brain and starts dropping us down into alpha, which is the state that we are in when we're journeying. And this is something, and Tom would have us do this constantly. He would, he would have us sit in the woods and he'd have us find a sit spot in the woods, go into wide-angle vision, and perceive the landscape around us in our sit spot in wide-angle vision. And it was amazing what you could start becoming aware of when you shifted that. And that wide-angle vision was a wonderful tool to move into that shamanic state of consciousness. It's something very simple, but it takes the discipline of just slowing down. And, and one of our problems in our culture is we move so fast that we actually miss a lot of things and we really shut down our awareness. You can't have high movement and high awareness. You have to slow down if you really want to open up all of your senses. So let me make some connections here for people that might be aren't necessarily seeing the ramifications. So that answer was an answer to a simple thing that anybody could do to begin to connect with nature. Yeah. But Anna also just answered the question for those of you that said, how can I start being grounded? Yes. She also just answered the question for those of you who said, how come my journeying doesn't work? So that one practice answered three of the primary questions people coming into shamanism stumble over. And and with that, though, is is not just the doing it once, but practicing it and learning how to shift. Because, of course, you can't drive a car that way. So if you do drive a car, (laughs) you know, I mean, and this is this is the challenge of a contemporary practice is to get out of the locked in 
way of being. You've, you've been trained to, to succeed in your culture so that you have the freedom to shift into other ways of being. Exactly. It's not that you don't need it. You do need it to do certain things we need to do in our culture and be safe. Yes, we, we need our, our brainwaves operate. We're, we're so entrained for our brainwaves to be operating at that faster speed, that beta a wave speed. And, you know, for those listeners who aren't aware of this, we have there's four main patterns of brainwave mo- motion. Beta is the fastest. That's the our multitasking brain, answering the phone, on the computer, driving the car, all those things that we can do sometimes multiple times, different kinds of things. That's how we operate most of the time, and we've been, we've been entrained to operate on that level most of the time. You, the next step down of the slower brain waves is alpha, and alpha is light trance. That's the state actually that animals tend to be in. They see and experience the world in the alpha state. They don't go into beta unless they're in in hyper alert or needing to flee from something. So we have beta, then we have alpha, then we have theta, which is a much deeper trance state or that borderline going to sleep. And then we have delta, which is the state of deep sleep. And much of the shamanic journey happens in the alpha to theta range, depending on your skill level. And a lot of times the hardest thing people have doing is to still their, their monkey mind, their mind that is just going and racing and racing because it's in that state most of the time. How do you turn that off? Well, the practice of that fox walking in wide-angle vision, it's impossible to make, do that practice and stay in that beta brain for very long. And it's a wonderful gateway to learning to still yourself. And actually what also happens is that you start becoming more and more invisible in nature if you move in nature in that way because you're moving like the animals. So, Anna, let's shift mm-hmm. gears a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about your apprenticeship program, which is now shifting from ideas that are for people beginning and people that now have some more experience. But would you share just your 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 journey with that the little story that you shared with me about the first um uh caretaker of the earth group and and how that shifted you into what you're doing now well i um you know so i taught my first caretaker of the earth apprenticeship in it was a two-year program from 2006 to 2008 and a lot of the focus was um clearing imprints of trauma from the land it was um uh, space clearing. It was um, working with nature spirits, was connecting with the land, um, and um, you know, and that seemed like what earth healing, in air quotes, should be. Um, and I that the program went fabulously well. A um, lot of deep healing and transformation for the students. is a wonderful class. And then after that program finished, I was going to start another one. I just could not get people to sign up. And it was almost like everything dried up for me. And I felt a certain degree of despair about that because I felt like, you know, doesn't anyone care about the earth? You know, (laughs) that kind of like feeling like, oh, my God, this is dreadful. You know, this is so important to me and it doesn't seem like it's important to anyone else. And I kept on, I just could not get, traction. I could not get momentum on getting another caretaker apprenticeship started. So, um, and so what happened then, uh, a few years of trying, and I remember the hot summer day, and I, um, I, there's a pond that I go out to, a spring-fed pond that's really icy cold, and when it's the middle of July in Wisconsin, it's quite hot and humid here. And I just, um, I just decided I was going to go out and spend some time in the pond because I was just uh, feeling miserable and sad, and it was close to the point of realizing I was going to ha- to not be able to start. I reserved dates for the caretaker apprenticeship, could not get enough people signed up for the next one I was trying to start, and so I was floating on this pond and asking the spirits. I said, "What do you want me to do? What?" What am I meant to teach? Why isn't this working? And I got this very, 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 very powerful download, I guess, for lack of a better word. 
And the spirit said, it's too late now. The things that you're teaching do not matter at this stage. Um, you're wasting your energy on something that is not going to make a difference. You need to start focusing on what is the future. You know, the tipping point has been passed. The tipping point has been passed. And now the place where you need to put your energy is in what is the future going to look like and how you, can you support what is coming in the future. And this was um, a really, um, uh, I, it's hard for me to even put words into how that impacted me. I mean, first of all, there was this like enormous grief that welled up in me. It, I think I'd been in denial up until that point of, of accepting that we were in as much trouble as we're in. And that was when it really fully sunk in. And um, for anyone who's read Hank Wesselman's book, um, Spirit Walker, highly recommend it because I think it really speaks to what the future holds. And what the future holds is, you know, our Earth is going to change a lot. It's going to be much warmer. Um, plants, all sorts of plants and animal species that depend on colder climates are not going to continue being with us. And I realized that, you know, Gaia, the, the, the consciousness of the Earth, is constantly creating. She's constantly, constantly creating. And I remember taking a training with Marco Bogajnik, who's an amazing person working with elemental beings. He's from Slovenia. And, um, and he said that he said, Gaia is constantly creating new forms. We may not be aware that she's doing that, but she's constantly doing that. And she will create whatever forms are best suited for whatever times, whatever, whatever uh, type of, of planet we become, whatever type of environments, whatever type of, of um, weather and um, climate we have, she will create something that lives happily and easily in that changed environment. And, and so I started really thinking about what do we do in these coming times? And what became apparent to me was that what we needed was to create that space for Gaia to create what needs to be created. You know, I just took a training of um, uh, Active Hope, which is part of the uh, work of Joanna Macy. And, um, and one of the things that she talks about in being an activist in these times is that a lot of people think that being an activist means um, doing things to stop destruction from happening. She calls those holding actions, you know, you know, keeping a, a, a landscape from being mined or, or um, protecting a water source or any number of things like that. Um, there's also sustainable systems and practices and there's shifts in consciousness. And the holding action part, the trying to stop and stop and stop things from happening is where burnout happens. It is emotionally and physically exhausting. And I think at some point we all need to, to go into a place of surrender with this and say, you know, my life force is too precious to be pouring it into something that it can't stop the momentum that it's going into. And I would rather serve on the other side of this. I'd rather serve in making, helping Gaia in her creation process, helping people connect to the earth so that their energy of love and compassion and gratitude for the earth, actually that feeds the natural world and supports all the elemental beings, all the nature spirits, all the spirits of places in protecting themselves and creating what needs to be created and in doing so in a graceful way. And I found that what I called me to start, to, that I needed to start teaching was to move out of a focus of that holding action of trying to stop or correct or reverse things, but rather to work with flow and movement 
there is rapid movement that's happening in the world right now as far as how the earth is shifting and changing and it's going to continue doing that and if i work with it if i teach people to work with it with love and with compassion and and moving with that flow there's going to be amazing things that gaia will create that will be part of this new earth and so I want to support being part of the new earth. I can't, I, I, I need, I've, I've done my grieving and crying about the things that we are losing that will not be replaced. And I think we all need some of that grieving and crying because we can't live in a fantasy that we can protect everything. But we can be a participant in the creation of something new. And that's the only way we're going to survive. We can burn ourselves out fighting and fighting and fighting to stop every single injustice. Or we can play a role in a new pathway and a new way of being that opens new doors and actually feeds and supports the creation of new energies on the earth. You know, Gaia is going to take care of herself regardless of what humans do. Um, I'd rather align myself with her and support what she's doing then get caught up in the trauma and the anger and the pushback of fighting every single thing that's out there, at some point we have to let go of some of that. Some of it we can protect. Some of it we should protect. But we have to really choose our battles wisely or else we burn ourselves out. And so my Earth Tenders program is really about supporting this new way of being. And how do we enact that and how do we model that in ceremonies for the community that get people involved how do we model being at home and at peace at earth and helping people really come into you know falling in love again with earth in the most simple and beautiful of her forms because that love feeds that transformation that love feeds and supports the nature spirits and the animal spirits and all those beings that are the form makers and are creating new forms to adapt to the changing climate. So that feels to me like a much more forward approach to healing than just trying to stop bad things from happening um, in places where there's so the force against things collapsing is so great that it's like standing in front of a freight train and thinking you can stop it. So, Anna, why don't you talk about, in just a little more detail, what are some of the um, the things that people would learn in the apprenticeship program, in the Earth Tenders apprenticeship, that that are sort of um, w- really unique? Like, they, they aren't going to necessarily learn that in everybody else's whatever trainings. Well, part of this is really going to be deep connection with the nature spirits and elemental beings. You know, there's a whole hierarchy of elemental beings that, you know, guided through Gaia are form builders and creators of new energies. And and so there are ceremonies we can do in places where we are really inviting and supporting those beings in both protecting a place but also in revitalizing a place with not just like plants that exist but creating the energy field that supports new growth, new forms of being. Um, There's also, I think, a need to move out of a war-type mentality that is so predominant in our culture and to really work at having compassionate neutrality to what is happening, to look upon all this chaos that's around us with angelic viewing um, and, um, and, and compassion and seeing the big picture. So really, you know, part of what I'm teaching people is to see this big picture to, to, and to be able to select what am I going to engage in that's going to move and shift and support the transitions? How do I support those elemental beings? How do I teach other people? Because we can do certain things singularly, but if you think in the quantum perspective, if we can be facilitators of group ceremonies in our communities 
that really nourish and bring alive a place or a space by supporting the natural world, we can do more um, being facilitators than simply doing things just by ourselves. But we have to be a model for that ourselves. We have to have that, that deep, profound connection with the earth initially and, ha- and be in a healed place to stay out of the anger and the, the judgment and the victimization and the despair. Um, so that, that apprenticeship, I always include a lot of personal healing work because if we're not personally healed, we are not going to be able to hold a space of compassionate neutrality in the face of, of protests and anger and people with opposing views wanting opposing things. You know, we have to be really grounded and centered in ourselves and have a really strong, deep set of tap roots into the Mother Earth to stand like a big old tree in the midst of the chaos and just say, um, I'm holding this space and I'm holding it for the highest good and the highest light. And I think this is really, well, one, this, this is where this energy needs to go. Because as you said, this is where it's going anyway. So we can either go with it or not. Right. But, you know, but, but even more importantly, I, I have to admit, I've, I've actually grown weary of the statement, I'm so empathetic, I'm so connected in the earth, it just makes me depressed and sad all the time. And I, I mean, there's so many layers of that, but the main thing is one, you're projecting your unhealedness onto the earth and challenges in the first place. So, you know, that's the first thing is the personal healing work you need to do. I mean, isn't the earth burdened enough with, you know, the outer having to reflect the inner that we're going to now project our stories on top of it? Correct. (laughs) You know, but, but the beauty of this is it gives people that do have a heartfelt connection to the earth a way to get out of that depressed, sad, oh, I'm so empathetic, I can't function place mm-hmm. to learn the skill, to heal, do their own healing and learn the skills they need to actually participate with something that they do have a heartfelt connection to. Yes, precisely. And, 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 and it's not just, to say that we don't need to grieve what's happening. And I think that that part of it, too, is to give ourselves permission to grieve in a productive way that that clears what we're carrying but we have to be wary of going into that victim place and collapsing into it and i think the difference between an active grieving that allows us to express our sadness for what's going on and wallowing in it and becoming paralyzed by it so there's an important thing of honoring that that's real but but in order to really make a difference we want to move with where she's taking us rather than being, I think there's so much nostalgia for the past. And that nostalgia is is kind of like the drain that circles us down into the darkest, darkest, most mm-hmm. unproductive places of where we could be. Yeah. Yeah. So, Anna, I can't, you know, our hour our, is up already. <laughs> so, where did it go? Um, where did it go? Is, is there anything else that you would say really kind of as a, a clarion call to people that really might not know that this is actually what they're being called to do and to come and join you in your, in your program? Um, you know, I would say to people that, um, well, first of all, I have an Earth Tender uh, apprenticeship that's already started but I, it's, we've only had our first meeting, and I'm willing to do a makeup class for people who are interested, if I get enough interested people, that they can join the existing class. The next one won't be starting until the end of next year. Um, in the meantime, I think what's really important is spending time in nature, saying your love to the natural world, doing your personal healing work. cannot emphasize that enough. And, and to start, you know, read, there's a, some really interesting literature out there about nature spirits and the elemental beings and how they form and create. And I think we need to have more of that knowledge brought forward because they are really the ones that are holding the potentiality of where we're going and getting more connected with nature and understanding how those beings work is they're our, our source of hope. They're the, they're the worker bees that are making what Gaia is guiding the world to happen. And if we understand that and understand that 
there's a tremendous amount of spiritual energy going towards that transformation, then we know that it's not all lost and that we can actually be a part of that, of that future of that new earth. Thank you, Anna. So everybody, I'm going to get some of those literature resources from Anna as well and post those along with the other resources she's offered on her webpage um, at whyshamanismnow.com. So you'll be able to not only get to Anna, but these other resources that she's offered. And um, thank you so much for being with me today, Anna. My pleasure. My pleasure. It was lovely. Thank you so much for inviting me. So we give gratitude to all of the ancestral spirits in their many forms who are with us here today, certainly to the earth below, to the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. I want to remind everybody that there are two big programs going on right now. One is the Year of Ceremony with um, a new ceremony from a different practitioner once a month on the full moon. The first one has already happened, but they're recorded, so you can still register. You can go to my um, homepage and register for the year of ceremony there. There is also the Inner Warrior Summit happening right now through April 18th. Also a situation that is recorded, even though it just began yesterday. It's just starting, and you can also register for that through my homepage. And for Anna, you can go to thehollowbone.com. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week.